This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Happy New Year. This is Eric Rostad coming to you right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Today, I'm going to cover Generations by William Strauss and Neil Howe. with The tagline, The History of America's Future, 1584 to 2069. This was book number 30 out of 52 for my 2017 reading list. So going back a few years in time here to, uh, to cover this one. This episode will consist of three different segments. The first will be a brief introduction to the book. The second segment, I'm going to cover some big ideas that stuck out to me. And then in the third segment, I am going to predict the U.S. presidential candidates based upon what I learned in this book. So on to segment one, I'm going to start with a quote here by Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and I'm going to actually let him give it to you instead of me reading it. There is a mysterious cycle in human events. To some generations, much is given. Of other generations, much is expected. This generation of Americans has a rendezvous with destiny. The authors start off the book with that that quote, and it just brings to light how how commonplace the discussion of generations is. We, you and I hear about it daily, whether it's millennials, boomers, Gen X. It's everywhere. It's it's almost we almost forget that it's such a big deal because it's just it's discussed so much. And this book is really the source of a lot of a lot of that discussion. It was written in 1991, so it, it is nearly 30 years old, but it has had a, a, a big impact. But before we get into the book any further, let's stop and take a quick step back. And let's consider two views of history. Now, these are very broad strokes here. We're, we're up in the airplane. We're 30,000 feet level looking down. First, first type of view of history is the linear view. Things just kind of progressing along, along a line, and uh, one thing leads to another, leads to another, uh, but it's, it's along a line. And if I look back on, on my thinking of history, that, that's the view that, that I've taken uh, without really ever consciously thinking about it. That's just how I viewed history. But the other view is a cyclical view of history. Uh, more of a circular view of, of history repeating itself uh, over and over again, but within a given time frame and, and type. So Generations, this book, takes that view. It takes the cyclical view. And it's a historical theory that each generation can be broken up into four types and that these types repeat sequentially. So this book is mostly focused on the United States, but it also includes a few worldwide trends as well. The authors identify 18 generations that started at the Puritans in 1584, and uh, they take it all the way up to the Millennials beginning in 1982. As I mentioned, this was book written in 1991, so the Millennials is, is as far as they get to, but uh, we've, also, we've obviously had some uh, generations uh, since then. The 18 generations that they identify fit into five different cycles, and you should be able to pinpoint the cycles based on their name names here here they are the five cycles colonial revolutionary civil war great power and millennial each cycle lasts roughly 89 years and there are four 
different generational types within each cycle, uh, with the exception of the Civil War cycle, which was sped up because of the of the, the war. Here are these four different generational types that make up a cycle. There's an idealist generation that proceeds to a reactive, then a civic, and then finishes with an adaptive generation. Each generation is around 22 years. So again, there's, there are four generation types that make up a cycle. The generation types last around 22 years, and the cycle lasts roughly 89 years, and then it cycles into another another one. So every 89 years, we start a, a new cycle, give or take a few years. Let's let's talk about the the generations that that we know of and and where they fit in the in this line. So let's start with GI. The GI generation is uh, contains people born from 1901 to 1924, and that is the civic type. And that, uh, th- like my grandma and my my grandparents were the GI generation. The generation after that is the silent generation. So that that is the adaptive type. And those are people born from 1925 to 1942. After silent is boomer. And now is boomer is where we start a new cycle. And this is the millennial cycle. So boomer, the idealist, again, that's the first type that starts a cycle. Boomer, idealist, 1943 to 1960. My parents fall within the boomer generation. After boomers is Gen X. In, in, gener- in the book, Generations, uh, they are called 13ers, which is a really awkward name, but the, the Gen X name had not been, uh, been developed by that point, I guess. But they're called the, 13th, the 13ers because they're the 13th generation after independence. But I'm going to refer to it as Gen X because we, we know it as Gen X. Gen X is a reactive type, and that consists of people born from 1960 to 1981. So I am a member of Gen X. I was born in 1980. So I, I just just made the cutoff. <laughs> uh, after that is uh, our millennials. They are civics, the civics type, and they were are, are people born 1982 to 2003. Uh, my wife is a millennial. After that is Gen Z, and those are adaptives. And that is are people born 2004 and, and onward. And that would that would end that cycle. The cycle, again, started with boomers as the idealists, then went to Gen X, the reactives, on to millennials, the civics, and Gen Z, the adaptives. Now, if, if those dates seemed off to you, uh, a lot of the other material uh, outside of this book will have different dates on when those generations are. So, for, for example, with millennials, they say millennials go from 1981 to 1996, on, if, if you look at a lot of uh, websites on the cutoff dates for, for generations. I'm going to go with the ones that are highlighted in this book because I, I'm covering this book in this episode, uh, but just know that, that uh, there, there is some discrepancy with, with some of the dates online. Now, since these generation types repeat within cycles, the authors looked back to see how different types behaved and responded in the past. Then they spent a considerable amount of time looking at the present. So looking at these different generations, really the, the ones I just mentioned, and, and seeing how they behaved, seeing, uh, seeing what kind of art came out of each, each group, how they responded to crisis, how they responded to spiritual awakenings, secular crises, and, and then 
uh, delve deep into that. And that, that was really fascinating. But then what, where this book got really interesting is that they, they took those cycles and looked into the future and, and did some predicting of what would happen and how different generational types would respond. Because again, it's cyclical. So if, if this group is a civics type, so the GI were, were civics and millennial are civics. So if we can look back at GI between 1901 and 1924 and see how they responded to different things, that can help predict perhaps how millennials will will uh, react to certain certain things. And again, we can also look back to the civics group before GIs and before that group, and uh, in, 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 in see commonalities in 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 those things. And that's basically what this book is is trying to to see those different cycles and then and then look back and tie things together really to give a framework uh but it is neat that it was written 30 years ago that we get to see if their predictions turned out right or wrong and and i'll get into to some of those later on in this episode the these authors also wrote the fourth turning uh, which was written six years after Generations. I read that as well in, in 2017, and that one gets into a little bit more about the future. But uh, for the for the sake of this episode, I'm going to focus on Generations. And I want to start by reading a, a paragraph here that uh, is towards the beginning of the book, but this is what the authors have set out to do. I'm going to start the quote here. For, for centuries, the power of the generation has not escaped the eye of philosophers and poets, historians and sociologists. Writing in the early 20th century, Jose Ortega and Gasset called the generation, quote, the most important conception in history, end quote. Uh, now back to the regular quote. Many others have shared that view. Since the days of the Old Testament in ancient Greece, the word generation and its various roots have connotated the essence of life birth and death, the maturing of youth, and the letting go of old age, the rise and fall of dynasties and nations. We explain how the dynamics of generational definition and cyclical change can be inferred from sources ranging from the Iliad and the Book of Exodus to the writings of several 19th century Europeans. We attempt to go beyond our predecessors by not just talking about generations in the abstract, but by defining the term precisely enough to batch real-life cohort cohort groups into generations and fix them in history. Once we do this, we can understand the relationship among them and especially how and why they occur in cycles, end quote. So really neat uh, thing that they've set out to do. Uh, later on in the book, they say all the cycle explains is when and why different generations apply different standards in working towards progress. This book moves a lot of pieces together and uh, I mean, there's just a lot of moving thing, even the, the cycles and types. Uh, I mean, there's even further delineations within that. So it can get confusing. And there are plenty of charts in this book to, to help out. But uh, just know that going in that uh, it, it can get complex, but, um, but they do a great job of, of, of arranging everything and then having charts and, and, and that sort of thing to, to help out. So... The structure of the book, it's broken up into three parts. The first is part one that's called the cycle, part two, the generations, and then part three, the future. Uh, there's a deep dive into each generation, and th there's even a chart for each generation, and they'll detail things like population, sample members, number of presidents, prominent foreign peers, 
important events and cultural endowments. And the cultural endowments will be things like books, uh, films in, in more modern times, uh, articles, things like that. And then also just uh, events that, that occurred during that time. As for who suggested the book, it was suggested by Tony Robbins in Tools of Titans uh, and, and on the Tim Ferriss Show podcast. And Bill Clinton actually gave the book to Tony, Tony Robbins. And so that's how Tony Robbins had first heard about it. So uh, Clinton's a fan as well. Uh, it was a favorite of Al Gore and Newt Gingrich. And Steve Bannon, the White House chief strategist who was fired by Trump, uh, was also impacted by this book and created a documentary called Generation Zero, where he discussed theories from this book. I have not seen that. The, the only reason I mention that is it this book is is beloved and looked to by a wide variety of people. It's not just someone on uh, or people on one side of the the political spectrum, but but it crosses the the whole spectrum. I read this book from August 4th through 19th, 2017. It's a 428-page book, so it's roughly 29 pages per day. I didn't track my reading time back in 2017, but this one took a long, long time. I, I do remember that. Um, I, I spent many hours reading reading this one and, and just even looking through the book to prepare for this episode. I underlined all over. I took a, a ton of notes. Uh, at the end of each chapter, I, I summarized the, the chapter. So I got a lot out of this book and, um, and, and took a lot of notes along the way. As for my initial reaction, this, this is a foundational book. Um, you hear about these ideas almost daily. Uh, just think of the OK Boomer thing, uh, which has recently come out. It, it's kind of a, I guess, millennials are getting frustrated with advice from boomers. And so it's kind of a, a dero- not derogatory, but but just a, oh, OK Boomer, and, and not really taking what they say seriously. Uh, but um things like that. It's just, it's a lot of, a lot of our cultural references go back to these, these generations. Uh, and a few other things in terms of, of, of initial reaction. First, I'd never really considered history from a cyclical point of view. So just even reframing how I looked at history based on reading this book was, was really interesting. Second, the authors consider a ton of inputs. Uh, things I mentioned before, like books, songs, uh, movies, papers, sayings. So for instance, like whoever dies with the most toys wins. That used to be a bumper, bumper sticker in the 80s. So they, they would take things like that and say, uh, this, this, is, this, this encapsulates uh, the, the, this generation, this, this saying. Uh, but they would do it throughout history. So it, it was really cool just to take all those different inputs and, and kind of tie them together. Uh, I, I learned a lot about history reading this book. It it looks and it looks at it from a generational point of view. So that was really interesting as well. So it's not just okay. Here's here are the people who who signed the and created the Declaration of Independence, but here are what their parents would have been like raising these children who became the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, but then what were those people like for their kids? Um, so it was really neat just to, to view things that way. And I guess take a little, uh, a broader, broader view on history. And then fourth, it provides a great framework for, for history. One of my favorite books for this entire project has been Guns, Germs, and Steel. And I like it so much because it, it also provides a great framework for looking, looking at history. So it's easy to, to read different parts of, of, of the past and, and just kind of view it separately. But Having a framework for history gives gives just a, a 
a starting point to view what you're reading and be to be able to put that into some sort of a context. And that's what Generations helps you do. There, there. I did have some issues with the book, though, as well. Um, I'm Gen X, but a lot of the descriptions of Gen X, I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily uh, vibe with that. I didn't, I think, I didn't think it was descriptive of of me. But that's fine because they they say generations are more about a collective mindset, and uh, but that does influence you. It, but it's not deterministic. Uh, and then I, I, didn't, I, ne- I actually never knew what generation I was until reading this book. I probably should have known that, but I, I just, I guess, never cared. Uh, so I, I learned about that. But um, that the other thing I mentioned earlier, too, is that it, there's just so much to remember in this book. So there are the five cycles. There's four generation types. There's phases of life within each type. There's secular crises, and there, those are crisscrossing with spiritual awakenings. <laughs> there's just so much going on. But uh, it, it makes it fascinating on one hand, but but a little overwhelming on the other hand. So there's a few things that uh, that were, were challenging uh, in terms of my initial reaction. As for who should read the book, uh, high school students, this is a great book, uh, as I mentioned, to provide a framework and perhaps an alternative way to view history. Those interested in generational differences uh, should read this book. And then if you're interested in just a framework in general for history, this will this helps get your bearings with, with history. Now on to segment two, and I'm going to move up the one thing up to segment two. I usually do that in segment three. If you're unfamiliar with the Books of Titans project, I try to pick out one thing from each book to remember. It may seem silly in the sense of if you're spending so much time with a book, wouldn't you want to remember more things than that? But I've found that if I try to remember a lot of things, I will forget all of them. But if I try to remember one thing, I will remember that one thing. And then that will actually help me to remember other things in the book as well. So it's kind of counterintuitive, but it actually helps me remember more things. So my one thing from this book, the thing I actually still remember from 2017 in this book, is that there have been no silent generation presidents. Let me say that again. There have been no presidents United States presidents that were born between the years of 1925 and 1942. So we have the GI generation in 1901 through 1924, and then the silent generation, and then the boomer generation after after that, baby, baby boomers. Guess how many presidents are from the GI generation? Seven. We have JFK, LBJ, Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, and the first Bush. They were all born between 1901 and 1924. All from the GI generation, the civic civic type generation. Go to 1925 through 1942, the silent generation, not a single U.S. president. We have to go to boomers to get to the next set of presidents. We have three presidents who are from the baby boomer generation. That is Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Trump. The astonishing thing here is that those three men were born within 66 days of each other. 1946, we start off with Trump in June. Uh, We have George W. Bush in July and Clinton in August. Those men were born within 66 days of each other. And then Obama was Gen X. He's born in 1961, and that is the year Gen X 
starts. So 1961 to 1981. But that blew my mind when I read that, that there has not been a single president from the silent generation. And it really goes into this a, a lot of, of this book. Generations have certain types of people. So in the GI generation, that's the, the civic, the go get them, the, uh, you know, the, these were the men that, that went and fought World War II. And then you have the silent generation, and they would have been too young to fight in World War II. They're, you know, they're powerful parents in the sense of uh, they're, they're doing huge, huge worldwide things of fighting wars and, and all that. And, and, uh, and then you've got this silent and adaptive generation. And we don't have a single U.S. president from, the, from them. There have been plenty of candidates, though. So here are some of the silent generation candidates. Bernie Sanders, Walter Mondale, Michael Dukakis, Jack Kemp, Jesse Jackson, and John McCain. Here's another thing that was really amazing in, in this book. Towards the end, when they start getting into to the predictions and uh, in the section called The Future, this is chapter 13. I'm going to read just a few different parts from this chapter because it was, it was prescient. So here's, here's the start of it. Suppose authorities seriously suspected that a band of terrorists linked to a fanatically anti-American nation had smuggled a nuclear bomb into New York City. How would America respond? To answer this question, we would need to know when this event is taking place, specifically during which constellation era, end quote. So the constellation era is, what, uh, era is what they call the cycle. So what part of the cycle would this be, be taking place in? And then they go through different examples. If this was going to take place in the 1970s, here is how leadership would respond. If it was going to take place in the 1990s, here is how leadership would respond. And then finally, if the terrorists were to strike in the year 2020, here is what, here's how they respond. But what's amazing is the description they give for how the response would be with, with 2020 with boomer leaders is pretty close to how the boomer president, George W. Bush, handled this. I, I want to reiterate again, this book was written in 1991, 10 years before 9-11. But listen to these paragraphs now. Finally, suppose the terrorists were to strike during the upcoming crisis constellation sometime around the year 2020. Once again, a quarter turn in the generational constellation would prompt a response that, from today's perspective, seems unrecognizable. Boomers, boomer leaders in their 60s would neither hide nor ponder the rumor. Instead, they would exaggerate the threat, who said there was only one bomb in one city, and tie it to a larger sense of global crisis. Hello, war on terror. Uh, unifying the nation as a community, these leaders would define the enemy broadly and demand its total defeat, regardless of the human and economic sacrifices required. Evacuation would be mannerly, with cooperative millennial youth seeking and accepting orders from elders with, and with pragmatic midlife Generation X making sure no time is wasted. The nation would act promptly and decisively as a single organism. For better or, or worse, Americans would be far more inclined than in other eras to risk catastrophe to achieve what its leaders would define as a just outcome. In all likelihood, the impact on history would come less from the act of terrorism itself than from the response it would provoke. I'm going to read that one more time. In all likelihood, the impact on history would come less from the act of terrorism itself than from the response it would provoke. End quote. 
I just couldn't believe that when I, re- I read that again, just thinking that that was 10 years before, before, uh, nine 11. Um, and, and they had the years off a little bit, but, uh, but they did have the leadership correct in, in how leadership would, would respond. And again, that gets into this book and, and how different generational types are going to respond to crisis, how they're going to react, how other generations are going to react who are, who are there at the same time. But the generation that is in leadership at the time, how, how they will, will react. Uh, another funny uh, kind of interesting part of the book is they, they talk about Trump a lot. And again, 1991, long time before Trump was president. But I, w- I want to read these, uh, these sections because they're, they're kind of funny. Uh, in, in this part, he's talking, uh, it's the, if you are a boomer, this is what uh, you may be feeling. So in, in that light, here, here's what he says. If you're a boomer, you may feel some disappointment in the Dan Quayles and Donald Trumps who have been among you, the first age mates, to climb life's pyramid, along with some danger in the prospect of boomer presidents and boomer-led Congresses further down the road, end quote. So that, that was just kind of funny, funny uh, jab at, at Trump. And then here's another one. Like Donald Trump, a prototype boomer sees himself capable capable of becoming a titan of whatever world he chooses fully to inhabit, providing cover for personal disappointments or, as a boomer might put it, deferred ambitions. This happened, uh, that's the end of the quote, this happened a lot in the, especially in the books from 2017, uh, from that uh, reading list. there, Trump came up quite a bit and in, in not in, in a good light in, in any of the books, but it, it was really funny because um, none of all, all those books had been written before he was president and but he kept he kept popping up. Um, so uh, one question I had from the book before I, I, I move into to segment three and predict uh, the next president <laughs> is what happens when people of different generations get married? So for, for me, I'm, I am Gen X and my wife is a millennial. Do we each maintain our prototypical character or do we blend those things? And the other reason I, I thought about this a lot in the book is, or while I was reading the book, is I'm on the edge of Gen X. I, I'm 1980, uh, birth year, and Gen X goes through 1981. And then millennial is 1982, um, and my, my wife is, is pretty close to, to that. So when, when Gen X was described in the book, I, some, some things would, would reverberate with me, but other things were, I, I felt more akin to, to millennial. And so I, I wonder just if, you, if, if, if you're a person who is, is on the edge, if you kind of identify with both as, as opposed to just being, oh, I'm fully Gen X. And, and all these things are, are really fluid anyway. Um, and, and they don't define a person. It's just more, these are the, the types of, of things we see on, on a broad, broad level. But that's just one question that, that came up for me, especially if, if, you're, if you're on the edge of a, a generation. Um, do, do, do they kind of blend? They kind of blend together. Now into segment three, and we're going to have a little fun here and predict some presidential candidates for 2020 in the United States. Back in segment two, I covered the fact that there has never been a silent generation president. 
So if we keep that going forward and assume that there will never be a silent president, let's look at some of the candidates and see what generation they fall in and then make some uh, really uh, kind of just funny uh, predictions. So I'm going to just limit the Democratic candidates to five. These are, are the top runners at the, at, the, at the moment. And they are Joe Biden, Michael Bloomberg, Pete B. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, and I'm not going to try. I do not listen to the news, and so I've never heard his name pronounced. We've got Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Biden, 1942, he's part of the silent generation. Michael Bloomberg, 1942, silent generation. Pete, 1982, he's a millennial. I'm older than Pete. This is the first time in my life I am older than one of the presidential candidates. That's disturbing. Bernie Sanders, 1941, silent generation. Elizabeth Warren, 1949, boomer. All right. What do we know? So far, no silent presidents ever. So we're going to take those three silent candidates out. So Biden, you're gone. Michael Bloomberg, you're out. Bernie Sanders, adios. Pete B, millennial. You're, I'm sorry, you're too young. We can't, we can't just jump to millennials and have them be presidents. And you're, you're younger than me, so you cannot be president. So you're gone. So on the Democratic side, we have Elizabeth Warren, 1949. She's a boomer. On the Republican side, it looks like Trump is going again. He's 1946. He's a boomer. So we have Trump versus Warren. We have two boomers going at it. That's my prediction. I'm not going to say who who uh, who wins the presidency, but let's let's go with Warren winning the Democratic candidacy just because she is not part of the silent generation. I know it's silly, and as we saw in the last election, crazy things can happen. But uh, I just thought it'd be fun to to predict based on the generation that the current candidates come from. So to recap, this was a very dense book, uh, tons of information, it, it, a slow read in that sense. Uh, it took me a ton of hours to get through it. I, I ended up underlining just a lot of the book. We hear talk of generations nearly every day. I've noticed it even more since reading this book. And this is a basis for a view of people in history that we now take for granted. This book should be required reading for high school, and I think it would help a lot of students have a better grasp of history and historical context. It had a profound impact on major leaders, media, and everyday conversation. You owe it to yourself to read the source of the complete set of these generational definitions and theories. Also, you could probably spend the rest of your life just looking up all the different names and events that are mentioned in this book. It's really fun to consider a generation of a particular author, and the authors of this book do that quite often. So let's say, you know, what what, what generation was Melville in? What about Hemingway? And then to see what types of, of work that they they wrote. Uh, here was one amazing thing. So there, there was a, a a generation called the transcendental transcendental generation type, and this was the early 1800s. And there were, I'm going to list some authors here, and they wrote some of the most popular literature from the U.S. all within a period of six years. And here are the authors, Hawthorne, Thoreau, Longfellow, Melville, Whitman. 
they all wrote within this very short time frame. And it's just amazing that that within these generation types too, you, you would get you'd get some generations that were were more apt to to be the artist. You'd get some that were more apt to be the leaders and the the government types. You'd get more that were were apt more apt to be uh, anti government types. And so just and, and then it just keeps going in cycles. Um, another book that came up and also with the movies out now in, in theaters is Little Women. And that came out of the Gilded Generation. And, but, but just looking at books as commentary of, of that time period and, and learning about that time period of, of learning of books. So this book helps you take a look at historical events and even take a look at, at um, people, books, movies uh, in, in more modern times, uh, other works of art, and to put them within a cultural context and, and, and to see what type of, of generation created that. that. That was really fascinating. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at eric at booksoftitans.com. That's eric with a K, so E-R-I-K at booksoftitans.com to let me know uh, what you thought of this episode or, or other ones. And also, if you've read Generations and, and um, you want to discuss the book with me, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter. And this, the website, I've been doing a lot of work on the website recently, and I now have some reading list ideas for you. So if you are looking at 2020 and you say, I want to read 12 books this year, I just want to do one book a month. I have provided a sample reading list, and I've pulled my favorites from this reading project and my favorite 12 out of all those books. So you could you could start with those. You could pick some ideas from that and, and pick some books that, you, that you've been wanting to read. I also have a list for 24 books. So if you want to do two a month and I, I have another one for 52 books. So if you want to do a book a week, you can see what books I suggested there. And the books that I've suggested, they've come, I've, I've picked these books from lists of people who have shared their favorite books of all time. So I've, I've gone through the curating process in, in how I've chosen my books, and then I'm even curating them further for, for you. Uh, I've, I've also put in a lot of different categories of books, so you can now search all of the books that I've read for this project by, if it's a business book, if it's fiction, nonfiction, uh, a, a number of different categories. So you can, you can now view all the, all the books in, in that manner on the website. So a lot of resources for you there. Please check out the, the website um, to, to, to help just in, in different aspects of, of getting a reading plan going. Um, I, I want to remind you that the podcast will now release every two weeks. So um, I'm releasing this week and then I'll be back in, in a couple weeks. That could change in the future to where I go uh, weekly again, but, but for now it's going to be every, every two weeks. So I'll be back in a few weeks. I'm currently reading the Bible. It is going to take many hours, probably over 100 hours total. And so I'm not sure if I'm going to wait to just do one episode on the Bible or if I'll break that up and have that be some of the future episodes. But I'll, I'll uh, keep you guys posted on, on social media on that. So until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out.